Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I don't have any new ideas for an intro. No one's emailed me in regards to that. So, um, yeah, you're going to have to deal with that for the time being. I am your host, Ray Harkins, and uh, we're at episode number 41, and the guest this week is Derek Archambault, or Archambault. I'm not exactly sure how to say it. I probably should ask my guests how to actually appropriately say their name, but uh, I usually forget. So uh, he is the vocalist for the band Defeater, and he also has his own side project called Alcoa, uh, which I enjoy very much just as a side note, but uh, more on him in a minute. Propertyofzack.com, our great friends. They should become your great friends. You should follow them on Tumblr. You should follow them on Twitter. You should do all the things that I do because I find a lot of enjoyment out of that site. Visit there for all of the most recent news, uh, sort of, you know, a different slant on the coverage. They definitely cover things that, uh, you know, may not be picked up on other sites. So go visit them. You will not regret it or feel like you're wasting your time there, even though this is, this, all this stuff is kind of a waste of time in probably our parents' eyes. But anyways, that's besides the point. Um, two other things. I've been getting a lot of emails recently. That's awesome. Keep them coming. Uh, you can email the show 100 words podcast at gmail.com and I promise I will respond and we will become friends and because uh, that's what I do. I, I sometimes become fast friends with people. Um, not like BFFs forever. And yes, I do that. use that term. Uh, I, I don't know if I would say it ironically, but I, I find it funny. So anyways, email the show. And if you are feeling oh so generous, go to the iTunes store and uh, drop us a, a review. We are at 75 reviews. That's awesome. I like the fact that people give the show feedback, tell me what they like, what they don't like. Um, I can't remember the most recent review, but someone dropped something nice and said, get Jeremy from Touche Amore back on the show. And I'm working on it. He's a, he's a busy boy and we've hung out and I've talked about it and he's interested. So we'll, we'll get around to it. Um, and then visit the website, 100wordspodcast.com. I try to put up some interesting content during the week in between the shows. So follow us there if you're a Tumblr person or just visit the website. Um, anyways, I wanted to talk about one thing before I dove into the guest. Um, it was something that I've had a few different conversations with people over the course of the past few weeks, um, before the internet took over everybody's lives. Um, we never knew, I say we, like those of us who grew up without the internet initially, uh, you didn't have a sense of what bands like looked like before, you know, you can, maybe, uh, you know, a shot or two in the record, um, you know, like in the album art, um, maybe you would see something in like a zine or a magazine, uh, but sometimes you kind of just like, I don't know what this band looks like at all. Um, and I don't know if that serves a purpose. Like, I always remember this is something that I really wanted to do for my old band, Taken, um, ripping off this band called Elliot. They were a great sort of you know, post-hardcore, emo, whatever you'd like to call it, band from Louisville, Kentucky. The first time I saw them, they were all wearing, like, black slacks, white, white button-up shirts and ties. Um, because I remember, like, when you see a band setting up their equipment, you already have a sense of kind of, you know, who they are, you know, what they're wearing. Like just, you're able to, maybe you've never heard of the band, but you can look at kind of what they're wearing and be like, oh, that's like a hardcore band or like that's a metal band or whatever. You're able to make immediate presumptions on them. 
or about them, about the music they play, not as people, obviously. But I remember Elliot, like I, I was already a fan of them and I had, uh, I had an inkling of what they sounded like. Um, I had like a few songs on a seven inch that they released on initial records. And so I was excited to see them. And so they show up looking like this and I was kind of like, that's weird, man. Like, you know, they, they look like they just got off work at a bank or something. Um, and I remember reading in an interview, the singer, Chris Higdon, I think, he talked about how he wanted to create a blank canvas. So it's like people wouldn't know what the band sounds like if they've never heard of them, seeing them set up and seeing them, you know, kind of get on stage and be like, hey, we're Elliot. Um, and I loved that idea. And so because, you know, I mean, whatever, you're flipping through the latest issue of Outburn or Alternative Press or looking at band promo shots or their Facebook page or their Twitter avatar, whatever, you immediately judge a band based on that fact. Um, good or bad, you just immediately know kind of maybe what they sound like, what they're trying to achieve. Um, and, you know, sometimes that hurts a band where it's like, you know, the image may turn people off immediately. Um, like, obviously, you're, you know, the more theatrical bands that are around today, um, you know, they musically, you may be super into them if you just didn't have any image attached to them. If you're like, hey, here's band A, listen to them, sight unseen. You listen to, you'd be like, oh, this is pretty good. And then they'll be like, oh, it's this band. It'll be like, oh man, it's that band up in, sucks because they wear eyeliner or whatever. Um, so yeah, it's just an interesting dichotomy of what has sort of happened within music and obviously how image, I mean, image has always been an important part of rock and independent music. But um, yeah, I just find it interesting. And I've been having more conversations about that recently where it's like, I have no idea what a band looks like when they're coming to town. And like, I think that dude's in the band and they do their thing and like, oh, okay, that's what they have going on. So anyways, food for thought. Derek from Defeater. Uh, I met him, I think two years ago at South by Southwest. And uh, because I was already friends with the drummer for Defeater and then met the rest of the guys. Um, and Derek and I immediately gravitated towards one another because he was like, hey, we were label mates. And I was like, what are you talking about? He said, I played in this band called Transistor Transistor, which was on Level Plane Records, which had released uh, one of my old band's first EPs. And so I was like, oh, shit, that's right. Like, I forgot that you, like, I knew, I had some recollection that he played in that band. But um, yeah, and so immediately we just start hanging out and trading stories and talking about stuff. Um, and ever since then, um, I've loved the band. I was already familiar with them and enjoyed them prior, prior to that. But then after that point, and then getting to know all the rest of the guys in the band, you know, just cemented them as just honest, legitimate working band that is, has a very unique point of view within the hardcore scene. Um, so yeah, that's, that's how I know them. And, um, Derek was, yeah awesome in the sense of we did this interview over two different places one i met them i met up with them when they came through southern california did a little bit of interview in the van and then about a month and a half later we met up over the phone after they got back from some international touring so the fact that derek was cool enough to carve out this much time for the podcast was awesome so here it is in all of its somewhat edited glory because i had to pull out some sounds from the van and uh, other various things that uh, were my fault. So I apologize if it sounds choppy from time to time, but that's just, you know, you get it for free. I mean, are you going to complain about that? And if you are, I'm sorry, like email me and I can refund you your time. Well, no, I can't do that, but 
Anyways, so uh, here's the interview with Derek, and uh, I'll talk to you after. Archambault. Archambault, okay. Yeah, or Archambault, depending on what part of Canada you're from. <laughs> Archambault. <laughs> yes, Archambault or Archambault. Yeah, so I won't, I won't do my own uh, radio intro for you or anything <laughs> like that. Um, but usually, I, and I'm recording right now, so it's okay. Um, usually I like to start things off with just like my own first, like either exposure of either your band or just like you as a person. And uh-huh. it, I distinctly remember meeting you South by Southwest, like two, three years ago, maybe. Yeah. I think it was 2010, possibly. Yeah. So yeah, two years ago, um, and then obviously like making that connection where it's like you know, we met at that Touche show. Yeah. And it was like, you know, hadn't I, I'd already previously known of your band and enjoyed your band, and so it was like nice to connect on that level. But then when you were like, "Yo, we were label mates." Yeah. And I was like, "Wait, what?" And then when you pulled out the transistor, transistor, yeah. I was like, "I had no idea." <clears throat> that yeah. you did that and it was just like it, it just shows like stuff like that always blows my mind where it's just like if you've been involved in independent music for like five five years or longer the world is so fucking small yeah it's unbelievable how small it is. you just trip over people where it's just like you have these connections where it's just like whoa oh wow like i wasn't expecting that at yeah. all and then it was just yeah it was just really funny for me to kind of have that like oh wow that's cool and then yeah. obviously we we became best of friends ever since <laughs> Um, but where, were you always born or were you always on the East coast and kind of born and raised out there? Yeah. Where in Um, particular? I was born in Manchester, New Hampshire. Okay. I lived there until I was like four and then my parents built a house in Candia, New Hampshire, which is like 15 minutes away. Okay. Um, so it's still super small town. Sure. Um, Manchester is like the biggest city in New Hampshire. Right, right. Pales in comparison to Boston, that's more like a Worcester size. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, because I, uh, I I went to Manchester. I think I played there once, and it was uh like the show was cool. And it, I mean, Manchester was cool, or at least the vibe that I got was cool because it's like it's a big enough city to have stuff. Yeah, but not... I think you played in Concord. Was it the Taken show? Yes. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, yeah. Totally did. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. Um. But yeah, but it's like I love those cities that like like I said are big enough to have some sort of sense of culture yeah. but not, you know, not be like you know, like Los Angeles where yeah, you're yeah. just like, "Oh my god, there's you're so much lost. stuff." To, right. Yeah. There's so much stuff to do like you don't even know where to begin or sort it sort it out, but um so okay, New Hampshire. Um yeah. like cuz no one no one knows anything about New Hampshire. Like no it's one. like it's it's this totally like mythical state. Yeah. People are just like always confused they're like wait is that is that above maine they're like no maine's above us like <laughs> where's vermont next to us right above massachusetts wait what wait where is that <laughs> i don't even know where that is <laughs> yeah. geographically speaking yeah. it makes no sense but, um, yeah now i live in portsmouth new hampshire which is like the much more like progressive oh, leftist okay. part of the state where it's like uh-huh. Everything is like super artsy and sure, a lot of culture. Uh, yeah, a lot of culture. There used to be a great punk club um, there called the Elvis Room, where like I saw like the Bruisers and 
yeah against all authority and nice. swinging others and sure sure business all like that all the just, classic punk stuff yeah that's awesome but now it's just like there's no there's no venue anymore really there's yeah. just a bunch of bars that try to get people in but there's always issues always issues like <clears throat> we used to throw shows in the basement of this like it was a barbecue restaurant oh, okay and they let us like have shows in the basement it was finished off and they wanted it to be a venue but they were always afraid of all ages shows but we had like i don't know like i was working with ricky from guns up at the time oh, okay and so uh we had like guns up play and you know a few other like punk shows and it yeah. just got out of hand and the bathrooms got destroyed and right. kids were drinking and and then, so, and then you're left holding the bag, so to speak. Where it's like, yeah, well, I, I didn't throw that show, thankfully, oh, okay. but you know the kids who did, it was like right. You, know, you can't it came down anymore. Sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Once, once they're like, our venue got destroyed, or you know, our place of business got destroyed. <laughs> yeah. This sucks. And they're always worried about like, well, we can't have all ages shows because they want to make money off the bar. Of course. And no one's buying. <laughs> yeah, people no are buying cokes. People are buying one dollar water, if that. Yeah. And. uh they they're just scared of like getting the licensing to do even like eighteen plus shows where right. you can X up the eighteen year olds. Oh, okay. And then still serve and make money, but mm. uh, it's just like a foreign world to oh, them totally. because Elvis Room closed in like ninety eight, so it's been a good like fourteen, yeah. fifteen years since there's been yeah a legitimate solid venue. Yeah, yeah, yeah <clears throat> it's like. It's so funny because more often than not, you, you see cities that obviously don't have that. And it's like when cities do have it, they take it for granted a lot of the times. Yeah. Where it's just like, they're like, oh, yeah, like I've got, you know, within an hour drive, I've got like 10 places I can see a band. Yeah. And, you know, three of them are like the most awesome, legitimate, all ages venues that yeah. have their shit together. And it's just like, you should be fucking appreciative. Yeah, totally. Totally. <laughs> and like that place you guys played, yeah. Concord is gone. Yeah. And. The place that's left in Manchester, it's only been doing shows for, like, maybe, like, five years. Okay. And the promoter who was booking everything got super sketchy and tried to, like, just pull pull one over on bands and yeah. get kids to sell tickets. And then, oh, you know, yeah. he's keeping overhead. And, yeah. Like, we did the first show of our first tour there with uh, End of a Year. Mm-hmm. And End of a Year ran into band troubles because they were using... Nick from Aficionados. Okay. And like, or no, they were using another van and they had to end up using Nick's. <laughs> mm-hmm. But they couldn't get there and the promoter was like super worried about like, well, like, I don't know, like, they didn't show up. Do I pay them? Like, or, do right. I, like, I don't want to fuck over Death Wish, but like, you know, <laughs> they broke, they broke down like an hour away. They couldn't get here. Like, what do I do? Right, right. Like, Fucking email Andy, like, figure it out. Dude. Yeah, it's not yeah, on yeah. us. Like, right. <laughs> Like, yeah, don't don't be asking me these questions. Like, yeah. sort it out with the person you booked the show with. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so, um, do you have a do you have kind of this New Hampshire pride about you know being where you're from? Just because obviously it is kind of this you know unknown. Yeah, I mean our state motto is "Live for your die," which is which is pretty badass. Is, yeah, it's the best state motto out there. I, I don't want to be like fucking Keystone State. No, no, not at all. <laughs> that, yeah, that's nobody even knows what that is. Right? <laughs> like, what the fuck's a Keystone? It's a <laughs> beer. What is yeah. it? The fucking ice. Right. Stone that, ice. That, that is the thirty old... rack of that. 
<laughs> that's true. That is, I've totally forgot that that was New, New Hampshire's motto. Because yeah, I definitely, uh, obviously, have seen that in people. You know, wear the state motto shirt, yeah. and yeah, it's pretty. It's super touristy too. It's like you know, during the fall, we have all the leaf peepers, and oh. we have the White Mountains. We have. Uh, Mount Washington, which is like a huge. Sure. There's a sticker that's like my car climbed Mount Washington. And all this shit. <laughs> yeah, basically all the outdoorsy people. Great go. skiing and stuff. Got it. And got like it. Great camping up on the Kangamangus River. Mm-hmm. So people who do know about it, like people in New England or New York, like we get a flood. Really. Of, especially in Portsmouth, just because it's <laughs> it's on the coast or like. Where I live is like two blocks from the ocean. Oh wow! So it's like we're right picturesque, on the water. Right, yeah, very right. picturesque. Like thriving businesses, mm-hmm. um, but it's just a flood of tourists. Like, yeah, yeah. Winter and summer. So yeah. It's like you never really get a break from outsiders. Right. It's never really like a. It's never really your own town. It's like a bunch. Of, right, right. Just a bunch of transient people that come yeah. in for a week and then yeah. leave. Um. So what did your uh, What did your parents do? Like you know, like you said they. They built a house and you know moved, yeah. you, moved you a little bit uh, further, but we um, we moved when my dad was like finishing up his like DJing career. Like, oh he wow! DJed on um, a few radio stations. He did some stuff in Boston, and then he got a job in Manchester uh-huh. uh, doing like this is when AM was still sure a thing. thing, yeah, and. Um, so he was like an AM DJ, and then he did like stuff on the side, and mm-hmm. he got a job working at a, at the Catholic Hospital in Manchester, doing like all the AV tech stuff. So just oh, like the okay. resident nerd, sure, just anything any yeah. doctor needed for <laughs> like we need, I need someone to do my PowerPoint, whatever. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, like make every presentation, <laughs> create the fucking yeah powerpoints and slides, and right. like just like get their shit together for them so sure. when they're like going to do their third year talk or whatever it's like yeah here's all the shit so he was just like the nerd there forever and he actually they fucking laid him off last november oh, or something rough. Yeah. after 30 years of employment and oh that sucks it's because this like crazy tax that new hampshire was implementing on on all the hospitals mm-hmm. um, i don't remember exactly what the what the what bill happened or in the bill okay. or yeah exactly the bill uh-huh. um but every other hospital um in new hampshire except for the elliot and catholic medical center which my both my parents work for my mom's in like uh office management and stuff oh, okay sure, that. sure so she's done like a bunch of different medical fields but i was just like managing the offices sure and uh they just fucking didn't prepare for it right and they laid off a lot of people maybe like a quarter of their oh, staff that's rough and it's all the way you know it's the people who have been there the longest went the first of course yeah 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 because yeah. usually they obviously paid the highest yeah they're paid the highest um the newer positions yeah, closer to retirement the newer positions are technologically speaking more uh, needed right right desired sure yeah, desired so yeah he uh so is he kind of viewing this as an early retirement <clears throat> way sort of he went kind of nuts not having a job i can imagine but he actually just got a job uh at the music hall oh cool which in portsmouth which is like a 45 minute drive from where their house is sure um 
and it's actually the building right next door to the record store that I work at. So, <laughs> so you're like, my dad's hey, gonna dad? Be, yeah, he's going to be working right next, <laughs> next door, door to Next door to you. Yeah. That's cool. So you got, like, the front of house just, like, oh, yeah, yeah, still sure. doing AV stuff. So That's cool that he's been able to still transition and yeah. do that, obviously, throughout his whole life. So he's, he's fucking stoked right now. He's, like, I can imagine. Nine. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, it's, and it sounds like the way that you talk about your parents that you, uh, you had a pretty good relationship with them. Yeah, not always. Well, of course. Know. I mean, there's, there's always hills, hill or, uh, mountains and valleys in every relationship. Yeah. yeah. The, uh, the finding punk at, you know, 14 and turning into a little shithead, um, just wanting to be in a band. Fucking, right. You know, my dad and mom are very very supportive of every decision I made for like whatever I wanted to do like sure. I, I grew up very fortunate um, but when it you know in turn to music it was like you know my dad helped me get my first guitar like we split it and first amp split it and he was just like alright like cool like do, you do what you want and it was you know I was still like getting into punk rock but I was in this like Britpop band where we just wanted to be Oasis and Blur and sure. ride and slow dive and shit of course you know, it was the fucking 90s. Right. It was 94. So Which it was is like, like the heyday for obviously all of that. Yeah. And, uh... I see. I f- it's funny that you... <clears throat> so was that kind of your first band, so to speak? Yeah. yeah. I find that so uh, impressive because I do find that... I mean, most kids that obviously, like you say, get into punk, you know, they're not... They they don't have I guess the wherewithal to kind of put together because that, that by all classifications that's like more sophisticated music I'd say I guess yeah we still didn't know our ass from our elbow <laughs> right I'm sure you but know, you guys we were, were covering just... Bob Dylan but like <laughs> it would we do like a Bob Dylan cover and yeah. then like an Oasis cover <laughs> and like the Dylan cover was just super washed out and jangly and like, <laughs> right you couldn't like, even tell it was a Dylan yeah, song. exactly like <laughs> what was what was the name of that band. Uh, fuck. I know. It went through many names. Sure. There was... I don't even remember. <laughs> well, see, what the <laughs> the funny thing that I find... Another common theme that I have in a lot of these interviews is, like, when people do, you know, reveal their, their first band... I mean, it has to be terrible. Yeah, there was one Knox, too. Like, K-N-O-X. Okay. That's not... I mean, we don't. I don't even know where it came from. I joined the band, and then it lasted like six months. I started out on drums because they didn't have a drummer, right? And that was like my first instrument. And sure. Then like, they didn't have a drummer, and I was like, I don't want to play drums. Anymore. You're like, this, this, this kind of sucks. sucks. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm just. It's a backbeat the whole time. <laughs> right. Like, You're like, I can't do anything but this beat. Like, yeah. I don't know about this. And then started playing guitar, and then quit because I couldn't couldn't handle the the singer. Yeah. 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 But, uh, but I think it's a common theme. Like, if you go into your first band and you have a good band name, like, that's so fucking rare. It's so rare. Especially so rare. being, like, 14, 15. Dude, yeah. If you could, like, my, my first band, Doom Society. Like, it's pretty sick. Pretty sick. I mean, like, totally. Like, I think we ripped it off from, like, uh, that punk band from uh, Minneapolis, uh, Code 13, I think. I yeah. think they had, like, a Doom Society song. We're like, that's fucking badass. And it's like, if you don't have that experience of having like a terrible band name, like you're not you're you're not as fortunate as the rest yeah. of us. I mean, I've I've been in some really fucking bad bands. 
<laughs> really bad things. But it, I mean, obviously, you can take all those experiences and realize, like, okay, this is what I don't want for bands in the future. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like girlfriends in a way. Uh-huh. We're just like, hundred percent. I, you know, I get a date. <laughs> you got to figure out what it is. Like, okay, that type of person sucks to be in a band with. Yeah. Um, so when you. Uh, Okay, you know, like, around that sort of 94 era, so, like, you know, as you were transitioning into, you know, high school, and um, obviously music kind of got introduced to you at a pretty early age. Very early age. Like, my parents were huge music fans. Yeah. They they saw Springsteen in his heyday, like... Amazing. You know, Asbury Park era, like, Born to Run, just, like, the river, like, they... That's amazing to see that, Yeah, yeah. And so, you know... The Clash, Springsteen, Todd Rundgren, just, like, always in my house. That's awesome. The three, like, big ones that I remember. And obviously, like, the Beatles and the Stones and stuff like that, too. But even even at a young age, I guess, I was just like, oh, I love the Beatles, but, like, Springsteen just has, like, this different feel. Like, it was... You know, it's like you this, gravitate towards that more. Yeah, it's like yeah. it just it had like a little bit of everything. Like, oh, there's horns in this. There's piano. Like, yeah, you know, there's there's organ. There's a lot going on in this. It's not yeah. just the you know, drums, guitar, bass. straight pop song. Right, like, right, right. You know, Springsteen can and Todd Rundgren too. Like his instrumentation is insane. Right, and their pop, their like poppiest songs could run on for seven minutes. Sure, it's sure. still like the most like gripping and catchy thing in the world. Yeah, yeah for sure. And uh, hey man, <clears throat> um, so yeah, music at a at a super young age. Like, sure, London Calling is still like my favorite record of all time, and there's still always always finding like new little nuances in that album that right you know 20 something years on it's like sure still still interesting right still such a textured record that it's like oh i can still find yeah it's not like you said something new in it that you didn't hear before but yeah and then like you know in high school going from like not playing in that band anymore Mm -hmm. and listening to more and more you know, at that at that time, it's all like finding out about new bands through the No Idea catalog and right. like you know the Asian Man catalog and stuff sure. like that. And so it was less like I would still go to like all like the street punk shows and stuff, but mm. I definitely found that you know like the more polished like sure. listening to like the Descendants did more for me than listening to violent society right or like yeah yeah you you <clears throat> you identified with it more and it was yeah. more yeah it was more up your alley yeah what was the uh who introed you to kind of you know a lot of the, the punk stuff and started transitioning into the independent music side of things um the club that the brit pop band played at also through all like the punk shows oh nice so we so you kind of just like go to like all the shows that yeah, were held there exactly nice, it was nice. like the only spot in manchester that had <laughs> shows for so long right and then there was a few other places like the same guy that owned the place that you guys played at in uh-huh. concord had a place in manchester first and he started throwing all like the hardcore shows like oh, got it. and then like randomly like furia five played at this like uh this place called like club liquid uh-huh. i think at the time i think it was liquid at the time and like it was a rave hall like dance hall but they would throw shows sure and you know, they'd have these, like, super... Back when, like, 
the rave scene and hardcore weren't that far yeah, that, off. Right. Like style wise, we were probably right there. Yeah, yeah. like uh, yeah, exactly. Like the way everyone looked wasn't <laughs> sure. too dissimilar. Right. Um, you know, everyone's got huge beads and baggy pants. Of course. And, you know, some of the kids are vegan straight edge, and some of them are yeah doing doing eat. doing eat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> totally, totally. Um, but so know, just I've, yeah, just because that club was there, it was like, <coughs> yeah, you would pop into every show and be like, oh, like there's this and yeah, this totally, is why they sound like that. Yeah, totally. Like got me into like Dropkick Murphys and like nice. Uh, and then like the next weekend they'd have like FYP or. Yeah, you know, or then twenty five to life, or my farm, or like sure, sure, you know, like yeah, you just ninety seven A played there, and I was just at the time just like, what the fuck this is, is going incredible. on? Incredible, like it's and it, like incredibly bad. At Yo, the same yeah, yeah, time. yeah, like just like he's just grunting, grunting. Yeah, totally, like, dude. So, like you said, as you were making that transition to being more punk hardcore, yeah. your parents totally just like. Were you were you kind of like you know middle finger in the air like oh, fuck you parents like I want to do this shit yeah. kind of, I mean kind of but it definitely was way more about like my personal life I just like oh, took okay. the fuck you attitude to just like well you know I'm a fucking punk I'm gonna fucking stay out to whenever I want like sure. you know I'm gonna go to this show I don't give a fuck if you <laughs> yeah, if yeah. you say no or not you know, right like, so it wasn't like. I wasn't like studded out or anything, or you know, sure. wearing like a Liber- Liberty butt Spike, flap. Right. yeah. You know, <laughs> right. s- still like you know had the same fucking haircut, still like pretty right straight shooting kid, but right. You know, my grades slipped because I was going to shows all the time, and like sure. just stopped really giving a shit about high school. And yeah, did you have was... ki- did you have kids in your high school that you'd kind of. Um... Because, I, I mean... Fallen in with. Yeah, fallen yeah. with. And, like, where did you kind of fall in with the, you know, archetypes of high school where it's, like, you know, you were kind of the, the sort of punk yeah. kid group? Yeah, like, freshman year, it was, like, you know, I made friends with everyone, and it was, like, fine. Right. But then, you know, as, like, the year went on and stuff, and, like... It was, like, I really don't want to be friends with these people. <laughs> You're, like, like, why am I trying so hard with yeah, this? Like, yeah, you know, like, I definitely wasn't one of the cool kids like i wasn't viewed that way and i didn't want to be in with them so it was like you know the the kids that beat the shit out of me in my freshman year like we're all like the older like hardcore kids that you know, still are somewhat involved in the scene in like new hampshire and stuff oh, like that okay. which is funny funny um, <laughs> yeah it's funny that they're still around you yeah yeah well i mean they're not it's like a whole different scene it's more like yeah. a punk skin like oh, okay got, know, it, scene, got it which which is rad like there's some great fucking bands that like yellow stitches uh mm-hmm. from manchester they're fucking awesome um uh word for word okay like um johnny's like the fucking sweetest kid he's he's younger but yeah um same same crew of guys that's funny but uh so like yeah they like these guys that you know, I'd go to the lunch table and sit down and, like, he was like, yo, fuck you, dude. You're in my fucking seat. And, like, choke me out and, like, throw me down. Like, those are, like, the hardcore kids. And then, like, the next year, me getting more into it and stuff like that, I'm like, man, I, I didn't know, like, you had to be a hard ass to, like, listen to this shit. Because, <laughs> yeah. like, I love it. Right. But I'm still just, like, the fucking skinny little. Right. I'm just, like, a meek little dude in the corner. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but then, like, as, like, me and my friends... Like, all my friends were a couple years older than me, so they were, like, a grade below those guys, but... Got it. So then when all of that crew of kids left, 
um, you know, they were, or they weren't two years old, they were a year older than me. So, like, mm-hmm. we all got older and, like, the older kids were gone. And then, like, we were, sure. like, the older punk guys. And, like, we were. Right. Like, you were, you're the ones beating up the freshmen. <laughs> sort of, yeah. Like, in that way, like, we were the ones viewed as, like, oh, that's the fucking weird table. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and it was the late 90s. So, like, there was, like, the explosion of fucking Marilyn Manson and of shit course. like that. So then, like, we weren't, like, the weirdest ones anymore. Like, there were the kids wearing makeup and, like. Right. Next crazy step. cargo pants and like sure listening to corn and slipknot wearing the fucking jumpsuits and shit of course and we're just like wearing like khakis and hoodies and like right you know wearing whatever fucking band shirts, band we shirts are. yeah yeah and it's no longer like who the fuck's minor threats like why does that kid have eyeliner on in school right so you're like, like yo the heat's off us yeah totally <laughs> like we could just act like assholes and throw fucking salami on the wall and that's like, incredible. I, I never thought about but that's totally true where it's just like it, it did hit that point in the you know late 90s where it's like obviously that was on the tip of everybody's tongue especially from like a mainstream perspective yeah. where you're just like is your kid into Marilyn Manson yeah they're falling into the wrong crowd yeah, yeah. man right with God yeah I'm like <laughs> totally totally and uh that's impressive so I don't know it's and then even, you know, getting way more into punk rock and hardcore, like, yeah, where it was, like, pretty much, I still had my appreciation for, like, Oasis and, sure and you know, like, other, you know, like, Third Eye Blind, like, that first record Dude. is still one of my favorite records of all time. Yeah, unbelievable. <coughs> Bless you. Excuse me. Yeah, you're fine. <coughs> Excuse me. Bless um, But, uh, you know, we're like, there's a few select bands I still listen to, but, you know, punk rock and hardcore it just, like, oh, grabs it, such it, a hold of me. It, con- it consumes you. Where it's, like, you know, all I'm listening to, only only going to shows to see that. And, like, being from New Hampshire, only an hour away from Boston. Right. So lucky. Like, totally. Got to see, you know, Kid Dynamite saves a day, like. Yeah. Uh, religiously. Yeah, religiously. <laughs> like. Fast break in my eyes, like yeah. all these, you know. And then right after high school, I graduated. <coughs> I think I think I am allergic to my pants. <laughs> the stench is just, jeez. <clears throat> uh, and then so like, yeah, like all these amazing bands are popping up and and starting out. And like, so I'm graduating right as like, through being cool came out and mm-hmm. uh, whenever you're ready and like, yeah, incredible records, incredible records, and you know. Damnation AD and like all this great shit, right? Um, and, and, like, I, and Shape of Punk to come. Like oh, me yeah, and my yeah. friends tried to go see them, and it was like, we better like we gotta drive, we gotta go to like the Carolinas, we gotta go somewhere to see them. Yeah. And then it was like, oh hey, Refuse broke up on that tour. Right. And before the internet, totally. it was all just word of mouth. One hundred percent. Oh dude, you missed them. They broke up. Yep. And it was like. Wait, what? Like, yeah, I'm never gonna see that band. Yeah, this like, is terrible. I totally, I was, I same thing. Was waiting for him to come out here, and like, yeah, same experience where it was just like you heard the like, or it's like you saw the flyer for, you know, all of the shows that were upcoming at this yeah. place, and then it was like canceled. Canceled. You're just like, what the fuck, yeah. man? Same thing happened with Strife. Like, they broke up on the road oh, before yeah. they could play New Hampshire, and like everyone at school was. Well, the like ten kids, right? right. We're all like super fucking stoked to see him, right? So long. It was like, oh hey, strife broke up. They're not coming. What the shit? And so, uh, at the you know at the time you were obviously like playing in bands and you you know getting your feet wet from that perspective. Did you know already from that point that you were like 
yo, I got a tour. I got to have that yeah, experience. We like wanted to like, but we didn't, you know, it was have the ability to have the ability yeah, at <laughs> sure. all. Like, and we were like in a, we had like a Scott punk band. Oh, like, incredible. Weird. Dude, you've, you've cut <clears throat> your teeth with like almost every yeah, style. Yeah, the fucking nineties. I know. <laughs> so like 97, 98. Right. Um, we had a Scott punk band and we were like, yeah, we got to play like out of state. We like want to get a, get a fucking use our parents' cars and like sure. tour. Do a caravan tour. Yeah. Yeah. And use, then, like, yeah you, use your mom's minivan or whatever. Yeah. Right. And you realize that that can't work and there's <laughs> no place to like get anyone to take you seriously because right. you're a 17 year old kid. <laughs> right. And it's not like now where it's like, oh, you're a 17 year old kid in a pop punk band. Yeah. Let's give you that fucking contract, dude. <laughs> yeah. Dude. We'll sign you while you're dumb. <laughs> do, you, do you look cute? Perfect. Yeah. We'll sign you. Yeah. yeah. Boom. But, uh, so, yeah, so we had, you know, me and my friends had that band and then uh-huh. joined a hardcore band my senior year. Okay. And sang in that, but it was like, you know, we played throughout New England. But, right. But, uh, it was way more like, it was when hardcore was still pretty metal tinged. Of course. You know? So, um, metalcore ish, if you will. Yeah. 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 You know, metalcore, like Sistrel or. Oh, you know, yeah, like, yeah. Great reference. Um, something, something like that. Sure, like, sure. Where we, we all listen to Acme and Catharsis. And... Totally. Just this su- super dark <clears throat> metallic art. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but then also, like, that first, like, Keepsake record came out. We were all like, Whoa, Florida! Yeah. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Blue, yeah. Like, what? And uh, how do you sing first, and scream? I know that how first uh, that? Poison the Well record was it? Great Assault? No. Uh, the the actual full the no, full no no the Not first a... EP. Oh, uh, distance, uh, distance makes the heart grow fonder. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That you know we all get that and we're just like whoa. What? Dude. Yeah. So like it kind of we're going from like that super dark just evil, right. and it's just like man, maybe we could do what they're doing. Like, yeah, yeah. You know? yeah. And then broke up on a whim. And like, sure. You know, just like every other band. <laughs> right. And then, like, started my own, like, three-piece majority war rule, like, oh, okay. worship thing. Right. And then uh, that fizzled out and then ended up joining Transistor. And that's when, like... Yes. So, like, over the four years from, like, high school uh-huh. <clears throat> to, like, the year after high school... Yeah, was like a whirlwind of like playing in all these different style bands, right. and then Ju- like, just in hopes that you'd be able to get out and like yeah. experience whatever. Yeah. yeah, and like you know when you're sixteen, mm. seventeen, playing in like a Scott punk band, but also like having an appreciation for like Madball, yeah, and stuff like that, and then like you start playing in heavier bands, and then you're, you know, I still never lost that appreciation for Slapstick. Like they're sure. still one of my favorite bands, right? No, that's um, and it's funny. I mean, you, you currently, well, I'm not you worked in an independent record store. I don't yeah, know if you still, still, still there. And for, it's so like funny. 11 years or something. Right, and it's so years. funny because I think that experience that you're talking about, I think, is inherent with, like, once your world, your musical world does open up and you're kind of like, oh, I can listen to all these different yeah. things and, like, not feel, whatever, ashamed or, like, I can't like this because of this. Yeah. Like, there's no mutually exclusivity yeah. in music. Like Yeah, totally. And like even you know, in high school where like it's uh you know, there's like the the sex within the the punk rock scene where right. like, you know, before like emo was a bad word. Right. Um you know, like getting the getting into like the polyvinyl catalog and yep. stuff like that, like getting like 
sweater weather seven inches and getting right. the promise ring and like you know that like 1998 99 were like some of the best fucking years for music totally like, dude so while like being like oh like that self-titled kid dynamite record is one of the best records i've ever heard in my life but yeah. i also love like framing canvas right and, totally you know, like Rain and Marie is awesome yeah, yeah. and like you know <laughs> we had piebald in right. the area like totally you know but then cave-in too so yeah yeah, like yeah getting to see all the garrison and like all these yeah. fucking amazing bands isis and like yeah it's just all it was kind so of... eclectic and yeah. in in massachusetts and like that's the only place to see shows really right that place in concord we'd get stuff but it was like mostly the local like yeah, the yeah, B yeah. bands like, right not, right right not getting reach the sky right this is this is a like, national touring act it's like oh yeah. we'd be stoked if that happens but it's once every like you know three or four months yeah, something like that exactly happens. so when you uh, as you, I presume like as you were going through high school like you had no true desires to be like I really want to go to college I want to pursue this I like, did and I didn't sure like, in the back of my head I kind of always was like I'm not do it but yeah. i'm gonna you'll try i'm gonna least. try to at least appease my parents and like sure i wanted to go in for elementary ed and like i got into a couple different colleges and i got like a little bit of scholarship from from college but then like you know got accepted and then it came time to like june graduate sure the wheels really aren't in motion like i haven't signed up for classes yet <laughs> right right my dad's like you know, and the school that I was going to go to is, like, 45 minutes away, the one I decided on. So, it's, like, not a big deal. I could be a little lazy, but then my dad had the conversation with me. He's, like, hey, if you don't want to go to school, you don't have to. You want to play music? That's great. And I had, like, a 40-hour-a-week job at the uh, the health food store in Manchester anyway, so I was, like, doing well. Oh, okay. Enough. Yeah, you were, like, you were self-sufficient. <clears throat> self-sufficient. Yeah, no, he was, like, you just better, like, not fuck up actually pursue it like wow do it. like just go for it that's incredible that he had that like hey derek real talk yeah, like that he straight had up like he, that's cool you know he's he's a fucking amazing man and it was like a good like two years after we had like our really bad like falling out like mm-hmm. fuck you fuck you fist fight like you know punch each other in the face a few times because i said fuck you i'm staying out till two o'clock in the morning with your car <gasps> And no cell phone, because there were right. no cell phones. Right, cell phones, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just no way of him knowing if his son's alive. Right. Where now I right. see that Right, as... it's like, that you don't, that's not going to, that's not going to compute in your mind. You're just yeah. like, I know where I am. I'm yeah. fucking fine. I'm fine. Like, I can take care of myself. I'm with my friends. If anybody fucks with us, we're going to fucking beat them up. Like, we just went to go see fucking Hatebreed. Like, fuck you. Yeah, I had a great time. Thanks for asking, <laughs> dick. Yeah. Sorry, what? No, it's it's okay. I was just saying that the, it, I was pretty impressed that your dad had the sort of wisdom and foresight to be able to, uh, you know, all right, my kid's not going to fucking do this. Like, I'm not going to yeah. force him to do this. Um, yeah, he, uh, you know, he he definitely saw that I, if I went to college, my mind was going to be somewhere else, and I was going to constantly be wanting to you know, be in a band and, like, eventually go on tour and stuff, and I probably would have <clears throat> fucked it up in the interim and then just wasted a bunch of money. Right. <laughs> and, like, so, I mean, not even just that. I mean, he he just saw it as, like, more of a a positive, um, you know, he saw how happy it made me. And, 
the fact that like we had come out of like a really like my junior and senior years in high school were like we had a really bad rough relationship we used to get into fist fights and just you know we just had some had some rough years but then um when it came to like me graduating and stuff we had put a lot of that to rest and then it got worse again but then uh <clears throat> i don't know i think he just saw that if that's what was going to make me happy then he just needed to just let it let it happen right right not 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 fight it and then end up having me resented yeah no for sure that's and uh, I, I think that's obviously a really important fact that you have to learn about, especially just like in the way that we deal with one another in relationships and stuff. Cause, um, you know, when you do try to sort of fit a person in a box, whatever that box may be, um, it, it, it usually never works out very well. And like you said, that person will end up resenting you and it'll be difficult yeah. to repair that relationship because yeah, it's no good. Um, so then as you're, uh, so like when did the uh because you played i mean you blew my mind when i met you at south by southwest and you said hey we were label mates on level plane yeah (laughs) (laughs) i had because i had no idea that you played in transistor transistor so when did that uh when did that kind of come into play and like was that sort of the first band that you really um i don't know i guess quote unquote took seriously where it's like all right let's see what we can what we can do with this or was there something before that um, I mean, there was, there was another band that, um, like in high school, I, I joined like some of my best friends in playing in this, this hardcore band that, um, you know, I, I took the role of singing in the band when I had never, um, screamed in a band before I had like, you know, I think I told you like I had those like Scott punk bands in like 95, 96, 97, yeah. um, 68. And then, like, come 98, 99, 2000, like, I I think it was around then. Um, yeah, maybe not 98, 99, 2000. Um, joined this, this hardcore band that, like, one of, my, one of my closest friends had. And then we tried to, like, take it as, like, seriously as possible. Like, we got a chance to, like, play with, like, Undying and Zagoda and Catharsis and, like, all these amazing bands that we really looked up to um and they played with like trial before i joined the band and stuff and like they were the hardcore band in manchester that was like you know doing it to a point and then we all wanted to like go on tour and stuff and we almost did but then it just didn't happen but uh i had like another band after that that was just like a three-piece like majority rule jr ewing type worship thing and then i met all the um, met all the transistor guys because I was running a show space in Manchester and used to have them play all the time with like um, some of the kids from that hardcore band started a another thing called Western Sky and so there's like a bunch of bands in New Hampshire like and uh, this punk band uh, called The Insurgent sounded like Lawrence Arms and stuff like that and uh, okay. so there's all these like bands in New Hampshire that were you know, doing well on their own enough, like, to <clears throat> get noticed by, like, Mac Rock and, like, stuff like that, where um, they would go down and, and play the Mac Rock Fest, and 
then, uh, you know, get, like, good regional show offers where they could, like, you know, open up for fucking international noise conspiracy or something like that. And, like, or play with, like, Backstabbers Incorporated when Backstabbers was, like, one of the biggest hardcore bands in... Right, in that area. In, like, in that area, yeah. Because um, that, that was another band that just, like, kind of, you know, put their work in and... and came out of, you know, this fucking small New Hampshire area where no one knows that bands even exist. And they were, you know, constantly touring and playing with Advocate and all those, like, rad New England bands that kind of flew under the radar for so long. Yeah, it's interesting. But, uh, it's interesting, like, just hearing all the bands that you're naming, it's interesting that that sort of, you know, for lack of a better term, like, you know, Level Plane, Ebullition, you know, GSL, like, that was so... Um, you know, popular in that, in that area, just because it, it was so, um, it seems so regional, you know, it's like it, it, you yeah. had, you had maybe one or two bands from each city that sort of like tried to do that style. Um, and sometimes it went somewhere and sometimes it didn't, but it, it was cool to hear that, you know, in New Hampshire, like you, you and I probably had the same experiences where, I mean, I didn't play in bands like that, but I, you know, I mean, in Southern California, we had, you know, San Diego an hour and a half away, which was obviously yeah. an epicenter for that type of stuff. So it's funny that across the country, that was also happening. Yeah, I mean, it was happening on a much, much smaller scale. Right, you know, right. We didn't have, <laughs> we didn't have uh, you know, Providence had a couple labels that was putting out stuff like that, like, you know, putting out the As the Sunsets record and mm-hmm. the... Uh, you know, Trillion Barnacle Laps and Lightning Bolt and, like, all that stuff that... <clears throat> Providence was, like, the epicenter for that type of stuff. Right. And that's, I think that's why Backstabbers ended up on Trash Art because Mitch saw it as, like, you know, like, it was a hardcore band playing in, like, 2000, 2001, 2002 that sounded like late 90s stuff. Mm-hmm. And then... But, yeah, that's, that's when I met all the Transistor guys. And then... Um, my friend John that was playing guitar, playing second guitar in the band, um, was like prone to just having like really bad anxiety attacks and stuff and just like didn't want to didn't want to play as much as as they wanted to, didn't want to like tour really and kinda of backed out and you know, back then it was like regional shows for like a touring band, like people would drive like a you know, Transistor would drive down to, like, bumfuck Connecticut to, like, play with, like, Page 99 because, like, right. it, was, it was Page 99. Like, if you got a chance to go open for them, like, you went and did it. Right. And that's that was, like, the breaking point with that kid, John. He, like, didn't show up to the Connecticut show for Page. And then I was booking the Page show in Manchester. So then they showed up and... um. I I didn't put my band on for some reason. Then we we're all just like sitting around, and they're like, "Yeah, so John didn't show up last night. Do you wanna do you wanna join Transistor?" And I was like, "Yeah, sure." <laughs> it was that. And it was like this really like weird, like nonchalant, like it was just like, "Do you wanna like come and try out and like mm-hmm. you know learn some of the songs beforehand?" And and at that point, it was like, "Well, they already had a tour book. They're putting out their record on Level Plane." Um, was this the was this the was this the full length that they were putting out or that was the first yeah the very first one so it was like technically a full length I guess it was like nine songs but everyone touted it as like an EP EP got it. okay so yeah they had just re- recorded that with Will and then uh, 
feeling for us, and then they were putting it out, and and so I was just like, yeah, this is fucking awesome. Like, I'm going to get a chance to, like, go on tour. And then we all, like, I don't know, I'd learn the songs. We all pitched in in a van, and um, I think that was, like, 2001 or 2002. 2001, it had to be. Right. So you kind of looked at this as where, okay, this is a cool opportunity because, like, you know, this band is obviously more established than what I'm currently doing. And so, you know, you kind of, you obviously looked at it as, like, a step up in a way where it's like, oh, cool. Yeah. This makes sense. Yeah, and the other band was, like, fizzling out and then, um, I, I started playing with Transistor and it it did just feel like a step up and, like, they were all, you know, they welcomed me with, like, complete open arms and, like, let me into their, you know, little group of friends and then I, Mm -hmm. you know, got to play all these, like, crazy shows with all these bands that I really liked and, and you played you played guitar in that, right? Yeah, I played guitar and, and did like backup vocals or you know, like had like the sporadic like one liner or whatever. Right, right. Um but yeah, I was just like, you know, second seat to Matt because he was like the focus of the band, but he's like such a fucking amazing songwriter that right. like I was just like, you know, just complimenting what he did. I like in no way wanted to be a songwriter in that band. I just wanted to add texture and like get a chance to like rip off all the bands that I liked. <laughs> yeah, I did. It, that time was definitely really interesting when you had a lot of these, you know, when I say a lot of these type of bands, like obviously level playing as a label really started to grow to prominence. And, you know, you, uh, a lot of the stuff that was, uh, you know, had hit in the you know, whatever late nineties. And then, you know, you have bands like obviously Thursday, completely referencing, you know, you and I, Seisha and all that type yeah. of stuff. And it's like, it was just so interesting. I remember um, when, because uh, Makoto did some dates with like Hot Cross and this is when Hot Cross was just talking to like Equal Vision to, you know, sign to them. And it was just so, um, it was so strange how that stuff all, you know, started to be like, l- labels were paying attention to it because they're like, yeah, it has some sense of melody, but we don't, exactly know what to do with it you know like yeah it was just so strange and like like you said i mean a band that you referenced before like jr ewing where it was like they were so incredible what they did and like you know they were huge over in you know sweden but then they come to the states and people are just norway yeah norway sorry my fault (laughs) um yes very very important distinction um (laughs) yeah but yeah it was just so strange like and then that was like you said that was like when international noise conspiracy and so it was um, it was just interesting to kind of watch all that play itself out and, you know, how, you know, obviously you were kind of, you know, in the, in the middle of it as well, as far as, you know, just being on level plane and, you know, playing all those shows and stuff like that. Did you, did you get a sense of that at all? Like, you know, did you feel like, well, this is kind of weird because there's this scene sort of burgeoning? Yeah, they, it, it definitely, um, it felt a little bit strange just because for so long, like, um, you know, it was, it was definitely like the fucking bad stepchild of like <laughs> yeah. hardcore stuff, you know, cause you know, an hour South we have Boston where there's, you know, every amazing, like really heavy hardcore band and like, you know, just like from Converge to HopeCon or whatever, like just these bands that are so much more 
don't know, just have balls. And then you get these, like, sassy little fucking, what would be called, like, you know, emo kids or scene kids now or whatever, like, with fucking right. long hair. And, you know, and, like, having it go from, like, they're this, like, you know, stupid ginger stepchild to, like, all these labels are, are trying to pick up Hot Cross. Or, like, I remember when, uh, what the fuck band was that from Long Island? Um, they signed a Rev in, like, the whole Long Island scene, like... Oh, On the Might of Princes, or...? On the Might of Princes, yes. Yep, yep. Everyone was just, like, you know, torn between, like, was that, like, a a, a good move, or... or yeah, like just. Uh, I mean, there was like a whole like documentary about about that, like on a Long Island like punk rock right. VHS tape or something. Yeah. But uh, you know, I think you I think you bring up a very good point in regards to um, this. Like in my own mind, what you're describing, like uh, you know, because before, like when I say before, like you know, whatever mid late '90s, like you know, y- you had bands that. To you know, a band like you know Transistor to Transistor can play with you know Converge. They can can play with you know a bunch of different type of bands. They can play with like a total you know mid nineties emo band and not feel weird about that. Um, mm-hmm. But then yeah, like in early two thousands, that's when you um, started to see a definitive switch where it's like um, you know you had your bands like you know American Nightmare and Hope Conspiracy that you know, they just, and not because they don't like the personal members of the band wouldn't want to play with, you know, a band like Transistor, Transistor, but it just wouldn't work as a show. Like, you know, kids, yeah. kids didn't want to see that. A total switch. Total, yeah. Yeah. It yeah. Was like if, if you weren't, you know, suicide file or dedication or, or whatever, like any, any local, um, like real hardcore band, like, yeah, it, it, it there was like a year switch where, it just, it went from like, oh yeah, like the business rad show with like all these, you know, different sounding hardcore bands where it's just like a hardcore band, a hardcore band, like whatever. It, right. it doesn't matter if it's like a four piece where the guitarist sings or if it's like, you know, like they have a fucking, or you're like it's page 99 and they have an eight piece band and like two singers and like, you right. know, it didn't matter. And then all of a sudden there was like, I think maybe, you know, just when, like, American Nightmare turned into the biggest hardcore band in the world. Right, right. Um, <clears throat> just, uh, there was, like, that definitive switch where, like, there was just another boom of bands, like, you know, Suicide File and Dedication. And, yeah. Um, and on the West Coast, like, like Breaker Breaker and all that stuff. Like, right. you know, Shark, Shark Attack. And, like, mm-hmm. it was, you know, all of a sudden there's, like, these, like, like real hardcore bands like coming up and like everyone else was just like the the step kid still but right. then when labels did kind of like figure out that you know hot cross is filled with like four incredible musicians and they're like writing very like accessible stuff like because you know, like you said like thursday was like completely referencing like their old bands mm-hmm. and stuff like that like it was definitely a weird weird thing to notice but you know at the at the same time i think a lot of it was like very well deserved like yeah i think it totally explains now where you know 10 years later um there's that cycle happening like almost again but i think everyone's a little bit more accepting of 
of not putting up those walls, not saying like, oh, well, this is like a real hardcore band and, and, you know, you guys are just like a bunch of like pussy emo kids like trying to play heavy music. Like, it, that does happen as far as like, yeah, you know, deathcore or whatever the fuck you want to call it or like yeah. all those oh, for different sure. like moshy singer, mm-hmm. you know, a singer with a swoop haircut and they, they sing and scream, like whatever you want to call that. Like, there is a definitive line with that, I guess. But as far as like getting, you know, a, uh, La Dispute or Touche More or or whomever, like, you know, kids consider that, like, a, a hardcore band, which yeah. is great. Like, it's, uh, and, and, and those bands totally would have fit in with what was going on back, back in, like, 2000 or, you know, 2001 to 2002, like. No, for sure. Yeah, it's definitely, um, yeah, there's, <laughs> I think there's larger, um, there are, like you said, there are walls that still exist. And I mean, for good reason, because obviously it's like, you know, I, I could never imagine Law Dispute doing Warp Tour. Like, you know, they just wouldn't, like, yeah. not only, I mean, not only knowing them personally, because they probably wouldn't enjoy that, but like, but at the same time, like, you know, um, you know, a band like you guys could obviously, like, you know, succeed on Warp Tour. <laughs> um, I don't know about that. <laughs> well, I, I mean, there there are. Um, I mean, a lot of dispute could succeed on Warp Tour as well. But like, yeah, like you said, there's you know, it, it I mean, even a band like Title Fight, like even though they did very well on this past year's Warp Tour, like you know, it was still kind of a you know, the guys in the band were like, wow, this is a whole new weird world that we're not comfortable. Yeah, with. Um, yeah, that's. And that's, it, it that's, that's, that's the, and that's the wall that, that like still exists just because it's like, you know, you're thrust on this, um, you know, really prestigious historic tour that, you know, draws these kids that obviously like, you know, kids that go to warp tours, like they go to like one show a year, you know, like maybe yeah. I mean, there's obviously a large portion of the crowd that goes to more than that, but there are kids that, you know, their, their parents just give them, you know, a hundred bucks and they're like, all right, go see like, you know, 50 of your favorite bands in one day. That's like more bang for the buck. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, it, I think you definitely did describe it perfectly when you said it's obviously cyclical. Everything in music is cyclical. And now we're just yeah. seeing that sort of, you know, 10 year cycle sort of hitting. Um, and so, okay. So obviously like as you're doing transistor did um, yeah, as you're doing it, did you ever feel, um, you know, because it, it is difficult touring with bands like, I don't, a lot of people that haven't done it don't understand that where it's just like, Oh yeah. Like dude, different city every day, like super fun. Um, yeah. Did, did you, did you like, did you always feel like as you started to experience that, were there, were there ever those moments where you're just like, Oh yo, this is not what I signed up for. This is holy shit. Like this is terrible. Not really. Like the, it was such, I was so young still. I was like 20, 21, 22, 23. No. 22 I think when I left okay um I was still so young that everything was just amazing right I just (laughs) right every opportunity was just like you know let's fucking do this like we did an 80 day tour with with a light diffuse and run like over the whole summer Uh and I don't think that there was one day where I was like not having fun like it was did you you say did you say 80 day tour uh, 80 days. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's, that's a long time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, it, I mean, it was, it was great. It, it was, 
you know, getting to tour with, with Fuse for that long was awesome. Like me and Chris Kirby became really, really good friends. And, um, everyone in that band at the time was, was fucking amazing. Like they're, they're all incredible people. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was like the longest tour I've ever done. And now thinking about that, I would, I'd rather just not even think about it. Like I could not do that to myself again. Yeah. Because uh, it's just, you know, I was just young and full of piss and vinegar and just like, yeah, let's go out and fucking tear it up all around the country. And like, who, who cares if kids show up to shows? Right. And, you know, just thinking about like all the crazy things that happened on that tour. I'm like, if that happened to me now, I would, I would quit. I would I'd be Adam. I would leave. Like, I wouldn't be able to deal with it. Like, yeah. But yeah. I was also like a young, dumb kid. Like, right. I, you know, I fucking got caught shoplifting on that tour in Louisville, Kentucky and spent two days in jail <laughs> because like, you know, I was just a fucking idiot and I, and I stole for, for a living pretty much. Right. And, and like, and that's what you did, you know, and that's, that's just what I did. And then I got caught and I fucking spent two days in like the federal prison in downtown Louisville, Kentucky. And mm-hmm. it sucked. Right. <laughs> but <laughs> well, then, uh, I couldn't. I couldn't imagine being like, "Oh, this is awesome! I'm really glad this happened." Well, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess like there's certain places in the country that I'd be like, "Okay, I'm in jail." Like, all right, whatever. <laughs> but right in Louisville, it was just like a bunch of fucking pill heads, and like the only reason I didn't get my ass kicked is because like I had tattoos, I think, and then because you looked tough, and then this. No, I didn't look tough at all. I just looked like a crazy person. Sure. But, you know, like, just, like, sleep-deprived. I didn't sleep for the two days I was in there, and I was up for a full day before that, so I was, like, just out of my mind. And then uh, this dude, Tom, that was from Pittsburgh, like, took the bunk next to me. We were in this, like, transitional cell, so it was, like, people who were, like, you know, just in for the night, like, drunk tank type of thing. And then there was people who were, you know, arrested on, like, crazy drug charges, and they were, like, awaiting um, a real cell, like, to get put into the population. Then there were people in, like, orange jumpsuits chained to the wall who were, you know, murderers and were awaiting a trial. You know, they'd only be in there for, like, an hour or something, but... um, (laughs) But you yeah. know, it's just it was just insane and crazy. Right, right. Um, and so then, um, as as Transistor started to you know uh, to die down on the touring, and like I mean, w- the way that you guys kind of you know broke up, it's it just sort of you know fizzled out as opposed to like this huge blowout where you guys were like you hate each other and that type of stuff. Am I right, or was there? Oh, any- I I I left before that even happened. Got it. I. Uh, I quit on our first European tour. I quit in Prague because me and the bass player weren't getting along mm-hmm. um, at all. At all. So, and we had like kicked out our drummer um, on the tour before that. So my friend Julia from the New Trust was filling in on drums, and then we all went to Europe. And uh, and I I quit on that tour. Like maybe with like five days left, and then. And then they got a they got Brat from Wolves to take my place, and mm-hmm. then they kicked out the bass player. 
and my friend Garrison, who I still work with, who is actually going to play bass in Alcoa. Okay. Started playing bass. And then, yeah, they just they fizzled out. Nat got um, appendicitis on their last tour. Oof. And, like, on the on the way to their first show of the tour, he started complaining about stomach pains. And then it got to the point where he, like, couldn't move, so they went to the ER and, like, Connecticut or something, and then they were like, yeah, your appendix is about to rupture. Oh. So then he was in the hospital for, like, a week and a half, and so they missed the whole tour, and then he had recovery and all this stuff, and then that was it. They, like, just didn't play ever again, and Matt went off to college uh, to finish finish his degree. He's, like, getting his doctorate right now, and he's, like, crazy into into cycling and I still work with Garrison at the record store and mm-hmm. I think Brad's in Philly and uh Julia still plays in New Trust and then um James who ended up playing drums like full time for them actually just opened up a new tattoo shop in Portsmouth. So oh, he nice. lives out here now. <clears throat> and so <clears throat> as you were doing transistor and obviously you were touring and doing all that, like, you know, did your um did your parents have ever have any sense of like, oh, cool, like he's at least doing something with himself? Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah, definitely. Like, you know, the, going back to like them being really supportive, like when I quit and left, uh, left on like kind of bad terms, my dad was like, you sure like you want to do this? Like you want to leave? And I was like, yeah, like it's, it's, it's over. Mm-hmm. Um, but at that point I had already started playing with this band Sparrows. Um, Sparrowstormant thing, so I like had that project and mm-hmm. then did that for like a couple of years, and that was like an instrumental, like Godspeed style um, instrumental thing. And then, uh-huh. so I had this other project, and then I like did some other bands, and, and I like joined a pop band on the promise that it was like we were gonna get signed to fucking some like startup label from some but i don't even know oh but really like, so it was it was like a it was like a major label sort of thing like oh this is what's going to happen with this <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was like a, i got totally duped i mean i <laughs> if my friend aj hears this interview he's gonna be mad at me but i i was working with this kid aj at a this marketing company while i was working at the record store i worked for mm-hmm. this music marketing company that that uh did like Barsook and all these, uh, <clears throat> all these, you know, really great indie labels. And, um, and his brother played bass and, uh, he quit just cause he was like getting married and like starting a life and whatever. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so he's like, Oh yeah, you want to join this band? I was like, yeah, sure. I guess he's like, yeah, like we're getting looked at by so-and-so and so-and-so. And then like, the drummer from Straylight Run had us like go down to his friend's studio and record like four songs to like shop around. And it was like, yeah, he has really good feeling about it. He's gonna, and it was like a, oh, it was like photo finish or something. He thought that we had a shot. Oh, okay. Getting, getting on that because he had done it with like two other bands or something like that. But at that point, like everyone in the band was like 24. I think I was the youngest. I was like 24, 25. Mm-hmm. And uh, everyone else was, or no, I wasn't the youngest, but I don't know. There were a couple guys older where they were like 26, 27. 
and no one wants to see a, a pop a pop band when like mid twenties <laughs> mid twenties dudes like tattooed dudes. You know, with like a yeah, tattooed assholes like <laughs> with you know, fucking five o'clock shadows at noon <laughs> looking like they're you know, hung over right. and, you know, playing like pop pop rock for their fucking sixteen year old daughter. Like right. no one wants that. Right, right. You you guys would <laughs> you guys would be the backing band to, you know, uh Pre like late teens, you know, really shaved, uh, you know, beautiful hair, mm-hmm. all that type of stuff. You guys could be the backing band mm-hmm. for that. <laughs> yeah, we would have worked much better at that. <laughs> That's funny. But, so <clears throat> yeah, I did that for like a little bit, and then and then met the kid uh, that introduced me to Jay, and then that's how I that's how Defeater happened. And that's how you fell into Defeater. <clears throat> um, yeah, just by sheer happenstance. And usually that's how the best things happen where it's just like, oh, okay. Like, you know, we kind of have same musical tastes and this would be kind of yeah. fun. Um, cause I mean, the, the way, the way the defeater started from, uh, you know, all intent and purposes, like, you know, there was definitely a focus and a purpose behind it. It definitely wasn't just like this. Um, cause you know, I mean, you guys, yeah. you guys were definitely had been in a few bands and obviously people were a little more experienced rather than just like, Oh, dude, we're 16, and, like, let's cover no effects. Yeah, exactly. We had all, you know, been around the block enough where, you know, especially Jay, Jay and I were, you know, we're like the fucking old jaded dudes in the band where even even when we first started it four years ago, like, we were the oldest, and we're just like, yeah, we want to, like, have this be just one big piece of art, have it all mean something. We're not, like trying to be big who cares if this never goes anywhere even if we just do one record and then we call it quits like let's just have it be this all encompassing you know piece of piece of art the statement about something right and uh <clears throat> and so yeah the fact that jay and i actually did what we set out to do you know four years later i mean just the conversations that we had the first couple times we were even talking about like doing the concepts and stuff before any lyrics were written. Mm-hmm. It just, if I actually think about it, it blows my mind. I'm just like, how the fuck did this really work? Like, right. and turn into something that like, now I get to see the world all the time. Right. You get to see the world. And obviously <laughs> like it's, it, it resonates with people. And I, I think, uh, yeah, I, I've been thinking about a, a lot of, um, I mean, especially in the way that sort of, whether it's pop culture, music culture, any art that you really want to reference, um, it, it seems so. People are really attracted to and drawn to, um, you know, when people either expose themselves, are honest, and you know, really just kind of, you know, put themselves out there. Um, you know, like I, I mean, one of my favorite comedians, like Louis C.K., where it's just like the honesty in which he approaches his, his, you know, his television show, his stand up act, all that type of stuff is like, you know, he just says, yeah. you know, he says shit and he, that he means obviously. Yeah. And so it's, it's really interesting to see that obviously trickle down to why, you know, bands like, you know, Defeater and bands, you know, like, like you were referencing, like, you know, a lot of spew touche where it's just like, you know, a lot of people would look at it and be like, oh yeah, that's like you said, you know, crybaby stuff, like heart in your sleeve and whatever, even though you guys yeah. are like, you know, Defeater falls a little little outside of that because there's obviously, you know, more of a, a narrative behind it. Um, but 
it's just it's just really interesting to kind of see all that sort of you know honesty play itself out as being like oh like th- this can actually quote unquote work as a business model <laughs> yeah yeah totally totally it's it's really it's really strange and interesting to see that happen and like i think that that's a reason why a lot of the bands that are like quote unquote like big today mm-hmm. are are doing well because people stop trying to like fit in with like you know swoopy haircuts and like you know playing breakdowns to be like the most like crushing band and like you know all that shit and they were just like oh well if we just like actually talk about life and like we actually just play music that we want to play like i mean look at like balancing composure it's like the simplest most like emotive music and lyrics and like they're absolutely fucking huge mm-hmm. like they're you know no matter who you are like if you're a young girl or you're like a 30 something year old dude like you can see that honesty and it's like that's a fucking great band like yeah. those kids like really get it right no for i mean <laughs> that, that that's it's totally true and it's it's nice to be able to see that as um you know, as, as a trend and something that obviously, you know, it's, it's a really great introduction point. If a person gets into, you know, that type of stuff initially when they're, you know, 14, 15 years old, um, you know, they may gravitate towards that for the rest of their lives. And obviously it would, you know, filter out to different portions of their life. And that's obviously what you want. She's like, yeah, I want you to have an honest experience. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Um, and in sort of, you know, obviously kind of, you know, like you were saying, reflecting on Defeater and looking at like how weird it is that, you know, a lot of the, uh, you know, visions and goals that you had when you were just, you know, dicking around in the formation of it, um, have been able to kind of, you know, come, yeah, come true. Um, what, I mean, I know it's probably, this will probably be difficult for you to pinpoint because I know it's, it's difficult to have that one moment where, when did you feel like Defeater kind of like flipped a switch where it was like, oh, wow, like people are really getting what we're doing, um, you know, whether it's like, you know, a kid coming up to you after a show and, you know, showing you a Defeater tattoo or whatever, like having those moments of just like, oh, shit, like this is way more real than I, f- that I ever thought it would be, you know? Yeah, I, I think like there's a couple, uh, a couple times where I just really got you know, taken aback and was just like, oh shit, like this is really happening. Like, mm-hmm. um, the first, uh, the first time we went overseas, like it was just all this, like just big whirlwind of like, okay, well like this is what bands do now. Like it's much easier to tour overseas. You know, I've, I've been here once with Transistor. Like I, I kind of know the, the ropes a little bit. And then like, went over with Polar Bear Club and Ruiner and it was just like this amazing tour of, of just, you know, everyone got really close and like mm-hmm. just get to tour with these like amazing bands overseas. I was like, wow, this is like really mind blowing. And like our record was only out for like seven months or something like that. And we were like already playing in England and like doing this like English tour. And we're just like, what the fuck is going on? Like, right. you know, and, and every, every night, you know, it's not like we were like killing it every night, but you know, every night there'd be the kids up front singing along and then, you know, Ruiner would get up there and destroy the place. But, um, 
you know, having those kids, like, you know, in England across the Atlantic Ocean singing back at me, I was just like, okay, this is, like, really weird. Yeah. And then we, a couple months later, we went over with Comeback Kid and did a tour with them and, like, did a bunch of festivals, and it was just, like, really strange to get, like, thrown into that mix and then, like, played a bunch of club shows on that and then up with, like, the Have Heart, Shipwreck, uh, Rise and Fall tour on that. and. Mm-hmm had some more like crazy shows where, you know, now it was like 15 kids or 20 kids in the crowd, like knew who we were and were singing along. And I was like, Jesus Christ, like our record has not even been out for a year. Like, right. so that was like pretty, pretty wild. And then I think another big one was when we went over and did a Euro tour with dead swans and more than life. The first show was uh grows rock and it was oh. like a big outdoor fest. Right. And, we played like the small stage and it's still like a few thousand people under this tent and it was just chaos. And I was just like absolutely blown away. We watched, uh, this is hell the day beforehand and Trev asked me to come out and do permanence with him. And like, I was so fucking nervous, like just pissing my pants nervous, like before, <laughs> right before I did it, because I was just like looking at all these people and like seeing how crazy people were going for this is hell. And, this is hell is like one of the bands that like kept me interested in hardcore. Like I had like kind of forgotten about it for a couple of years and then sundowning came out after I thought the EP was good. I loved the one Oh eight cover. I thought it was awesome. And then like, I just didn't, I wasn't like looking forward to a full length or anything. And then sundowning came out and I was like, Oh my God, like a band that actually sounds like pissed off hardcore kids rather than like, you know, just, contrived like we're being a hardcore band to be a hardcore band right um so i i absolutely love sundowning and blah 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 so getting to do that with trav like makes i don't know it just makes me really happy but uh so like did that and then we played and i i those two days were just like okay like this is like a real a real thing like new record lost ground had just come out these people were like you know singing along to these songs that i modeled after like legit just like history mm-hmm. and uh having people like respond to that in a way that you know was positive like they're they're having fun at these shows they're singing along to these words that are you know based around i mean not to get into like what it is but like we're in belgium like right singing about shit that went on in this country right and like it was just this like really eye-opening just like all right like time to like really buckle down and like take this seriously like this is this is my life now like now right. the theater is a band right <laughs> yeah that, that, <laughs> no that's the, and that's a really like it, I, I like how you put that because it's like you definitely do feel, um, you know, especially it's like coming from obviously like where we've come from, where you all of a sudden feel like a sense of responsibility and not like in a bad way, but a sense of responsibility where it's just like, okay, what, what we are creating as a band is, you know, is actually becoming, you know, meaningful and is actually resonating with people. Um, and like you said, obviously it can be, you know, in a city next door or it can be in, you know, a completely different continent. 
Um, yeah. but, but then when you, when you actually do, you know, recognize that in yourself and then obviously you, you hope that the rest of the guys in the band also recognize that as well. And then that's, that's kind of when you, you do shift a gear and you kind of go into this different mindset where it's like, okay, like, you know, we, there has to be a level of organization behind this and we have to be professional yeah. about this. And, um, you know, this isn't, yeah, that, that part didn't happen. Right. <laughs> we didn't. <laughs> That part didn't happen until until uh, until much later. Right, right. No, yeah. I mean, when it's when it's forced upon you. But yeah, the, the, just the sense of responsibility, where it's just like, okay, like you know, they're, um, you know, I'm not in. I mean, you guys would be doing it even if you were in an echo chamber playing to ten people. You would just be doing it, you know, yeah. on, on a much smaller level. But um, the fact that it's it is connecting with people, you know, and you do feel that is is cool. Like I said, you definitely sh- um, shift a mental gear where it's like, okay, like I have I have no yeah. I have no problem doing this, and this is fine to commit myself to. <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. Like it just like just hit me, and I was like, all right, this is like this is what I do now. Right. So. Right. Um, and sort of, uh, you know, to wrap things up in a somewhat cohesive manner, um, and the idea of, you know, wh- where you sit now, like, cause how old are you? Uh, 31. Yeah. So, I mean, we're, I mean, I'm 32, like we're, and I figured we were the same age. So, it, you know, as, as we've grown older within this scene, like, you know, at the, and this is what I tell people where it's like, it's, it's actually, it's, it's more work to obviously stay involved to, you know, care, uh, to just pay attention to music, whether or not, um, you know, you're paying attention to hardcore or punk, whatever, independent music in general. Um, you know, it takes work to be involved the older you get. Yeah, it really does. Yeah. Um, and obviously it's easy when you're, you know, 17 because you have nothing but time. Like there's nothing, there's nothing else that's more important than fucking going to shows or whatever. Um, yeah. And so you yourself in your own head and obviously transitioning to different parts of your life, um, because you do have, you know, Defeater has an interesting thing where it's like, you know, you guys are able to tour when you want to, as opposed to like, okay, we have to tour 300 days out of the year because this is our sole source of income. Like we've got nothing else to rely on. Yeah. Um, yeah, totally. And so, um, yeah, like, you know, I mean, basically kind of what, uh, you know, what, what keeps you connected is the fact that you do have sort of, you know, not sort of, but you do have a real life outside of the band, or is it, um, you know, just the fact that, like you said, you know, this band is obviously meaningful to someone else besides you and the other guys that are playing on the stage. What sort of, you know, keeps you involved from that perspective? Um, I think it's like a, a solid mixture of, of both, like the fact that, you know, I can still, um, you know, still have like a, a great home life to come to and like, or come home to and, and like get to work in, you know, still like in a record store or I get to still play the music I want to and like, um, you know, like get to go home and like play the Silver Snakes record and like turn kids on to that when after we like come home from a tour with them and like have right. people, you know, what? I said, yeah, no, that, that's that's cool that you still have that uh, that that connection where you can you can do that at a record store and still have music as yeah. obviously a center point. Yeah, and I and uh, I don't know, and then like still, you know, Alyssa's you know younger than me, and she she's still like full of fucking piss and vinegar and wanting to go to shows, and like you know that that like fire is still in her where 
you know, she wants to, like, go fucking, she'll drag me out to, like, go see Cold World. And, you know, I, I love Ice Grills. I think that record's amazing. Right. Um, but I probably wouldn't, like, you know, at 31, like, still want to go out and, like, and see that. But right. then, like, when I, when we went, I was like, fuck, I miss hardcore shows. Like, just being at a hardcore show, not playing one. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, that, that type of thing is, like, an eye-opener and, like, keeps me, you know, wanting to, like, support, you know, local stuff and, like, bands coming through. And then, um, you know, and then, like, having having Alcoa as, like, a side project and stuff, like, I, I want to, you know, keep keep playing music and, like, hopefully, you know, play play something different, but, um, you know, have, like, some of those same kids, like, hopefully attach themselves to that, too. Like, hopefully have kids still, still enjoy the songwriting and stuff like that, but... Yeah. I don't know. There's a, there's a lot of things that, like, still keep me involved and excited about about punk rock and hardcore. And, and the fact that as much as I li- don't listen to hardcore and stuff as much, like, there's still those bands that, like, you know, I can still go and listen to the Adam- Adamantium records and, like, fucking get pumped. <laughs> That's you awesome. Know, like, yeah. You know, like, I'll, I'll put on When It Rains, It Pours and just fucking remember, like, what it was like to to listen to that record for the first time. Right, right, for sure. Well, that's, yeah, that's 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 great that you can still have that, so. Well, I, uh, yeah, I think this is the best place to leave it off at, because, I mean, when someone says Adamantium, I can, we can, yeah, game, game's <laughs> over, dude, game's over, it's perfect. <laughs> Well, uh, yeah. I appreciate you obviously following up and wanting to do. This is my first uh, in-person slash on the phone interview, so you, uh, you you're making history. Oh, thanks, popping popping your cherry. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. Sorry, this was a very long conversation, but uh, yeah, Derek had a lot of things to say, and he was uh, he was in the mood to talk. So I, you know, just kind of let him roll. So um, yeah, visit propertyofzach.com. Visit 100wordspodcast.com, and uh, I'll see you next week. Thanks, everybody.